Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity's true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. Have you heard that there are a lot of nuns out there in America? I'm not talking about Catholic nuns. I'm not talking about N-U-N-S. But I'm talking about those who are nuns, N-O-N-E-S. In other words, these are people who are not religiously affiliated. And they give reasons as to why they are not religiously affiliated. Some of them have left the Christian faith. Some of them were never brought up with any faith. But many of them have left the Christian faith. And they consider themselves nuns. Do they give good reasons to leave God? That's the question we're going to investigate today. You're listening to Cross-Examined with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network, our website, crossexamined.org. That's Cross-Examined with a D on the end of it. Now, these people who are nuns, N-O-N-E-S, are either atheist, agnostic, or they consider themselves nothing in particular. They are unaffiliated with any particular religious worldview, according to them. How many people in America are like that? According to the latest Pew Foundation, survey, which has been taken since 2014, and they just released some more data this past week, about 23% of Americans consider themselves nuns. About 71% of Americans consider themselves some kind of Christian. Uh, In other words, uh, whether they're Protestant uh, or Catholic or Orthodox, they even include Mormon and Jehovah's Witnesses in this kind of uh, survey here. Uh, So about 71% consider themselves some kind of Christian. Now, obviously, uh, we as uh, Christians uh, wouldn't consider a Mormon or a Jehovah's Witness to, to be a Christian. They would consider themselves Christians, but they're too radically different in terms of their theological viewpoints than to be considered Christians. That's, that's a whole other program. This survey puts Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses under that category of Christian. About 6% of Americans are of a non-Christian faith, be it Jewish, Muslim, Buddhist, Hindu, something like that, okay? Uh, The other 23% or so, and there's some rounding error here, but about 23% consider themselves nuns, atheistic, agnostic, or nothing in particular. Now, this is up almost seven percentage points from 2007. So from 2007 to 2014, this this group called nuns has risen seven percentage points from about 16 to about, uh, well, almost eight percentage points, actually. No, let me look at this again. About, uh, about seven percentage points from 16 to 23%. 23% of the people out there in America consider themselves not religiously affiliated. They are nuns. And of that group, a disproportionate number of that group are what we call millennials, people born after 1989, from, say, 1990 on up. Uh, So that, and I know these numbers can be hard to follow on the radio, but let's just make it as simple as possible. There's about 55 million people out in America right now, 55 million adults who consider themselves nuns, not religiously affiliated. Now, 
about 25% of Americans consider themselves evangelical. So the nuns are almost the same size as evangelicals. They're a couple percentage points less. So if there's about 55 million nuns out there, maybe there's about uh, 60 or so million evangelicals out there. That's where we stand. That's the snapshot that I just want to leave you with right now. And again, this is all put forth by the Pew Foundation, P-E-W. You can go look them up and uh, look for uh, the... Uh, let me see if I have the link here. I'll get the link after the break. It's in here somewhere. Anyway, uh, you, you can, uh, well, oh, yeah, the, the, the title of it is Why Americans, Nuns Left Religion Behind. You can look that up. It just came out a few days ago. Why Americans, Nuns Left Religion Behind from the Pew Foundation. Now, what kind of reasons do they give to say, well, I'm no longer affiliated with a religion. That's what we're going to look at today. And before I do, let me point this one other thing out uh, that the survey found. For every one nun that adopts a religion, say Christianity, there are four who go from a religion to a nun. In other words, people are moving more toward the nun category four times more than those who are moving from the nun category back into a traditional religion. All right. So people are losing their faith in the traditional religions. Now, what are some of the reasons that people give for moving into the nun category? Well, there are four categories of reasons. The first category is they just don't believe. And here are some responses that people have given in the survey. Uh, saying that they just don't believe. One of the responses given is uh, learning about evolution when I went away to college. That was the reason given. Learning about evolution when I went away to college. Now, is that a good reason to leave a particular faith? Let's just say, is it a good reason to leave evangelical Christianity? And I'm obviously not all of these folks have left evangelical Christianity, but that's our viewpoint, so we'll, we'll work from there. Is that a good reason? Because you learned about evolution when you went, went away to college. Um, no. <laughs> Why? Well, first of all, when somebody says evolution, you got to ask them the what question. What do you mean by evolution? What do you mean by that? These questions we've been over before on this program, they come from Greg Kokel's book, Tactics. They're on our app, the Cross-Examined app. These are questions you ought to ask when people make an assertion. Oh, say, look, you know, I went off to college and I learned about evolution. Okay, first of all, what do you mean by evolution? I mean, do you mean change over time? Hey, we see that. Uh, do you mean adaptation within a type, i.e. microevolution? Hey, we see that. Yeah, I believe that too. Oh, you believe molecules to man without any intelligence. Well, what evidence do you have for that? That's the second question. You know, what do you mean by that? First, what evidence do you have for that? What evidence do you have for molecules to man without any intelligence, macroevolution? You'll find out that most people don't have evidence. They just, they just work from authority. They just say, well, so many uh, scientists seem to believe this, so it must be true. Ladies and gentlemen, the greatest advances in science have been made by those who challenge the consensus. For example, Einstein challenged the consensus that the Newtonian laws of physics were correct. Now, they largely are correct, but Einstein brought them to a level of precision 
uh, through his theory of general relativity that was unknown to Newton. He challenged the consensus. And uh, you challenge the consensus, and that's the way you make advances. Now, there isn't really a consensus on Darwinian evolution. Uh, in fact, in uh, November of this year, the Royal Society over there in London is, is calling for a conference. They're actually creating a conference uh, that uh, many evolutionists are going to. And the reason they're going to this conference is to come up with a new mechanism to explain evolution because the current neo-Darwinian mechanism, they realize, is inadequate. <laughs> so uh, it's, it, even those who are, are evolutionists are going, man, we, we just don't have a mechanism that can create this, these rich, dif diverse forms of life that we say evolved here without intelligence. We've got to come up with some other mechanism. Uh, but even if there was a consensus, that doesn't mean it's true. And even if macroevolution were 100% true, I would ask the individual, why do you think that disproves Christianity? I mean, could macroevolution be, be true and Christianity true? Yes, it could be. Now, I don't think it is. Don't get me wrong. But it could be true, and so could Christianity. I mean, if macroevolution is true, does that mean God doesn't exist? No. Does that mean Jesus didn't rise from the dead? No. Now, it does give you problems for biblical inerrancy because the Old Testament does say that God created Adam out of the dust. And according to this view, the macroevolutionary view, no, he's created from, from uh, he evolved from other uh, pre-existing creatures. So it would give you trouble there. But the entire Christian worldview is not defeated because you have a naturalistic explanation for biological evolution. In fact, and we'll talk about this maybe after the break, you need a God to even allow evolutionary forces to work we'll get to that after the break you're listening to cross-examine with frank turek on the american family radio network what reasons do people give when they leave the faith that's what we're talking about we're back in just two minutes don't go away since i've led tours for many years to the holy land israel many people ask me what's your favorite place to go i have two really the garden tomb and calvary and the Sea of Galilee. Now, I like all the places we stopped along the way in Israel, but those two places in particular are very special and meaningful. Hello, everyone. I'm Tim Wildman, president of the American Family Association and American Family Radio. We'll be going to all the places you've read about in the Bible since you were a child. It's going to be a very special tour of Israel. The Holy Land, March 9 through 17, 2017. We're taking a direct flight from New York to Tel Aviv. For all the information on this tour, just call us at 800-FAMILIES, option 5, and leave us your name and your address and we'll send you a brochure. 800-F-A-M-I-L-I-E-S, option 5. Or visit the website twholyland.com. Last year, the AFR family provided enough funding to expand a children's home and orphanage for boys and girls in Southeast India. Well, thanks to your gifts, more children now have a safe place to go for shelter, nutritious meals, and hope for the future. With my studies and with my strength, I can follow my dream. Recently, the Indian government changed the building codes, requiring a completely separate building for boys. And they have to break ground on a new building by September 15th. Otherwise, they could be forced into a non-Christian facility where children like Sazgri couldn't have experienced a love that changed his life. I felt God when we ate 
eight, when we studied, I was happy because we were not alone. On Tuesday, join AFR and together let's build room for more to keep young orphan boys in India in a safe, nurturing, Christ-loving children's home operated by India Partners. 1,000 AFR listeners making a gift of $148 will make it happen. Give today at AFR.net. National Public Radio, go no further. We're actually going to tell you the truth here. That's our intent anyway. You're listening to Cross-Examine with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. Uh, our phone number, if you want to join the program, if you think we're not telling the truth, that's just fine. You can call us. We'll put you on the air. 888-589-8840, 888-589-8840. After the next break, hopefully we'll get to your phone calls. We've got a lot more to cover today. We're talking about reasons why people say they've become unaffiliated with religion, that they've gone from some sort of traditional religion, most often Christianity in America, to a nun situation, N-O-N-E. They are either atheist, they are agnostic, or they are unaffiliated. Now, as I mentioned earlier, out of the 23% who consider themselves nuns, 7% of the 23%, or seven, let me uh, state this a different way, 7% of Americans consider themselves atheists now, and they're included in the 23% figure. So that would mean 16% are either agnostic or they're not affiliated with any religion. So 7% of Americans consider themselves atheists, and the rest of the 23% who are considered nuns are either agnostic or they are just not affiliated at all. So evolution was one of the reasons they gave. Look, even if evolution were true, macroevolution, we all know microevolution is true, but if macroevolution was true, that would not disprove Christianity. In fact, that explains a very small aspect of reality if it explains it at all. I mean, explaining new life forms is only a very small piece of the puzzle that we're trying to solve when it comes to what's the right worldview. Macroevolution does not explain the beginning of the universe, the design of the universe. The universe is fine-tuned and is, was designed for life and designed for uh, even there to be galaxies and planets. Uh, it doesn't. Macroevolution does not tell us why murder is wrong or why rape is wrong or why theft is wrong. In other words, it doesn't give us objective moral values and obligations. Macroevolution does not tell us anything about where personality has come from or where reason comes from, the laws of logic, the laws of mathematics, why the world is intelligible, why we can understand truths about the real world using our minds. Macroevolution can't tell us that. In fact, Darwin even had a doubt. His doubt was, look, if my mind evolved from a monkey's mind of some kind or had a common ancestor with a monkey, why should I believe any of my thoughts? Why should I believe the convictions of a monkey's mind, he said, if such a mind has any convictions? In other words, the very idea that uh, we evolved by purposeless processes should call us into question our own reason, our own ability to, to draw true conclusions. Of course, macroevolution can't tell you anything about the resurrection of Jesus and why the evidence for the resurrection appears so good that Jesus actually rose from the dead. So there's so many things about reality that macroevolution can explain, even if you were to grant somebody that it's true. It doesn't disprove that God exists. Another thing that people say 
Oh, and by the way, one other thing. We've talked about this on the program before. I talk about it at length in the book, Stealing from God, Why Atheists Need God to Make Their Case. Even if macroevolution theory were true, you need orderly natural laws that allow macroevolutionary processes or that drive macroevolutionary processes. You need an orderer. You need a mind behind the created order to even have macroevolution to work. I'm not saying it's theistic. I'm not saying that God is involved necessarily in moving the macroevolutionary process along. I'm saying that could be completely, if it's true, it's not, but that could be completely without God, but the very natural forces that undergird the evolutionary processes are directed by mind, gravity, electromagnetic force, strong and weak nuclear forces, those natural forces go in a direction consistently. This is what Aristotle called final causality, also called the fifth way to argue for God. Thomas Aquinas called it his fifth way to argue for God. These goal-directed processes are sustained, created and sustained by a mind. That mind is what we mean by God. Another reason people give is too many Christians doing unchristian things. Well, that's a moral objection. And Christianity actually predicts that. We are fallen. We are people that need a savior. Even Paul admits this in Romans chapter 7. The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. So you should expect that if Christianity were true, that Christians would do unchristian things because we're fallen human beings in the process of sanctification. We haven't completely arrived there yet, and we won't on this side of heaven. In fact, I think it was Tim Keller who made this point. Christianity tends to attract people who don't have it all together. You know, it's not the people that are successful by the world standards who have it all together and are rich and uh, they're not the ones typically coming to Christianity. Why? Because as Jesus himself said, you know, it's difficult for a rich man to get into heaven. Why? Because, well, the rich person tends to rely on himself or herself, on their own riches. By the way, he didn't say it was impossible. He just said it was difficult because you tend to rely on yourself when you've got it, quote, all together, unquote. It's the people who have realized that they are fallen and broken. The troop, the people that really know they're broken, that have a need for a savior and they come to the savior. And so they're broken, and you would expect broken people, we're all broken, but we'd expect even more broken people to have behavioral problems. We all have behavioral problems, but the people that are attracted to Christianity might have even more. And C.S. Lewis pointed this out in another context where he, he basically said, someone who does just a simple act of kindness, who came from such a broken background, that simple act of kindness might be like you or me sacrificing yourself for somebody else. It might be that laudatory a act given the background and the history that that person experienced. So Christianity attracts broken people, and you'd expect broken people to do broken things. This is exactly what Christianity predicts, and you got people saying, well, you know what? I can't be a Christian because I see too many broken people in Christianity. <laughs> that's, that's a reason we – Christianity is one of the reasons we know it's true. We need a savior. They say religion is the opiate of the people, another reason why people give to move from Christianity to the nun category. Well, you know what? You could just reverse that and say atheism is the opiate of the people. Why? Because it, it, it means that people don't have moral accountability. 
I mean, there's there are moral reasons not to be a Christian because people don't want there to be a God. They want to do their own thing. In fact, there's really only two reasons why people don't believe. It's a head reason or a heart reason. A head reason is an intellectual reason. They have intellectual objections. Well, that's why you do apologetics. That's why you give people reasons. That's why you give them answers, as Peter would say. That's why you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, as Jesus said. That's why you destroy arguments, as Paul said, and take every thought captive to Christ. But quite frequently, the reasons are not in the head. The reasons are in the heart. The mind is one thing. The will is another And that's why I always ask people, if Christianity were true, would you become a Christian? And many times they hesitate or they say no. Why? It's not an intellectual problem. It's a volitional problem. It is a problem with the heart. They don't want it to be true. So quite frequently, atheism is motivated by the heart, not the head. Now, I'm not saying this is true of everyone, but Jesus himself said we love darkness rather than light we want to do our own things we don't want our deeds exposed paul said we suppress the truth and unrighteousness to go our own way and so to say religion is the opiate of the people it can easily be turned around to say atheism is the opiate of the people but by the way that doesn't prove or disprove god exists i mean you have to look at the evidence for that but quite frequently the motivation that people have is often a volitional motivation has nothing to do with the intellect. Another reason people give that they to, to move from the religion category or the Christian category to the nun category, and this is all in the survey. You can read all this, by the way. They say rational thought makes religion go out the window. My question is, where does rational thought come from? Why is there reason at all? Why is this a rationally intelligible universe? That appears to reflect a mind, a divine mind. So the very fact that you're using rationality to defeat God, you're actually stealing from God to say that God doesn't exist. You're stealing the very concept of rationality, which seems to be best grounded in God, to say God doesn't exist. So you maybe, maybe you just haven't had enough rational thought to realize that. Now, obviously, that's a broad category. There are many things in religion that may appear to be irrational. So maybe that's what they mean by that. I I, I can't tell. I can just see the broad comment. But the very fact that anything is rational should point to an order of rationality, or I should say a source of rationality, and that's what we mean by God. Here's another one that they bring up. Lack of any sort of scientific or specific evidence of a creator. Well... Um, there is scientific evidence for intelligence and the beginning of the universe. And the very fact that there are orderly natural laws which enable us to do science shows that there is an orderer out there. There is a mind that created and sustains the created order. So our very ability to do science requires what appears to be a mind like God, an orderer. But it's interesting that people would ask for scientific evidence. As I've talked about on this program before quite frequently, science doesn't say anything scientists do. And quite frequently, scientists are interpreting the natural world around them based on their philosophical presupposition that there is no God. So they're not arriving at the conclusion there is no God through science. They are informing their review of science by their atheistic presupposition. So, 
if you rule out natural, I should say, if you rule out intelligent causes or supernatural causes in advance, you'll never come to the conclusion that science points to God. Why? Because you've already ruled it out before you even started doing science. Now, if you're open to intelligent or supernatural causes, you can see intelligence everywhere through scientific inquiry. But science, strictly speaking, does not point directly to God. It points indirectly to God. You see a genome. It doesn't point directly to God. It points to an intelligence. And then you need other evidence to see if the intelligence that created the genome actually is the God of the Bible. You need a lot more evidence than that. But you do get an intelligence out there. I've also noticed this when people will say, well, you know, science... uh, There's no evidence for a creator through science. Would anyone ever say, I've given up on love because there is no scientific evidence for it? Or I've given up on justice or right and wrong because there is no scientific evidence for it? No, they'd never say that. Why? Because science doesn't address those immaterial moral values or obligations uh, that we we know exist. Well, why do those things exist? They exist because there's a nature out there known as good, and that's God's nature. So science can't explain everything. Science doesn't say anything scientists do. Science looks at cause and effect inside the natural world. So how can it say anything about something outside the natural world? It can't. But we're going to talk more and get to your phone calls. 888-589-8840. 888-589-8840. I'm Frank Turek of crossexamine.org. Back in two. Here's parenting expert John Rosemond host of the American Family Radio Program, Because I Said So. My mission is to restore biblical, commonsensical parenting to a culture that holds children up as idols. Join us for Bible-based parenting and family advice Saturday afternoon at 5 Central with John Rosemond on American Family Radio. It's Because I Said So. Oh, and by the way, grandparents are welcome. They better be because I am one. Hello, friend. I'm Pastor Ron Jones, and I'm glad to tell you something good has come to American Family Radio. Something Good is a daily half-hour Bible teaching program that I'm hosting at 6.30 p.m. Central Time. In a world full of so much bad news, we're glad to bring you Something Good. Learn more at somethinggoodradio.org. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Freedom is an amazing gift from God, and he's given us an incredible number of heroes charged with the job of protecting it. I'm Eric Horner, and I'd like to invite you to be a part of doing something really special for those who've answered Freedom's call. On Saturday, September 17th, Operation Tankful of Love, in partnership with American Family Radio, will again be working to bless the men and women serving at Fort Campbell, Kentucky, with a gift of some free gas. Living the life of a soldier is rough with being away from family and having to deal with just the environment that's there sometimes, and this kind of stuff raises morale. The sacrifice that you guys make makes a sacrifice that we make so much worth it. If you'd like to be a part of Operation Tankful of Love 2016, you can give us a call at 877-968-3742 to make your tax-deductible donation. You can also donate online by going to tankfuloflove.com. Won't you join us in being the hands and feet of Jesus to those who serve? Cross-examined with Frank Turek and the American Family Radio Network. What's coming up on the calendar in the coming weeks? App State University, Appalachian State University, 
which was the first campus we went to when we started crossexamine.org back in 2007. We're going back on Tuesday, September 6th. So if you're anywhere in the North Carolina area, I'll be up there for a faculty event on the 5th. I mean, at 5 p.m. and then a complete student event. Anyone's invited, not just students, but the community as well. At 8 p.m. on Tuesday, September 6th. Then heading out to California for our, our Northridge, California Fearless Faith Seminar. Uh, and that is going to be in Northridge both on Friday night and Saturday morning. I'm there with uh, Jay Warner Wallace, the cold case homicide detective, and Dr. Mike Adams, the UNC Wilmington College professor. We're doing our Fearless Faith program to prepare you for college and to prepare you for life uh, over the water cooler there at work on how you can defend Christianity with grace and truth. That's going to be the 9th and the 10th, and then I'll speak in the morning service on the 11th there at uh, church uh, everyday morning service in Northridge, California. Then the following week, uh, we are going to be back in California up near Sacramento, the 16th and 17th. And then speaking at a church on the 18th. This is all on the website, crossexamine.org. And then after that, a debate with Jeffrey Lauder at a university or at Washburn University in Topeka, Kansas. That's Wednesday, September 21st. So a lot coming up here in September. Hope to see you out on the road. Today we're talking about why people are moving from Christianity and other world religions to the category none, N-O-N-E. Uh, they're moving to atheism or agnosticism or being unaffiliated. Let's do a couple more of these, then we'll get to your phone calls. Uh, some other reasons people give to not believe in Christianity. Uh, they say, I just realized somewhere along the line that I really didn't believe it. Okay, well, the question is, why don't you believe it? And what is it? What kind of God don't you believe in? Because when after people describe the kind of God uh, that they often believe in or don't believe in, I say, look, I don't believe in that kind of God either. Do you have the true God of the Bible, the true God that exists, or is it just a concoction in your mind and you don't believe in that God? Neither do I. Uh, how about uh, they will say this, too. They don't believe anymore because I'm doing a lot more learning, studying, and kind of making decisions myself rather than listening to someone else. Well, Keep searching, keep seeking, and you will find. But rather than listening to someone else, I think I gave this illustration before. I think it's John Stone Street actually thought of this, of the of Breakpoint. Uh, imagine you're out in the woods and you're uh, lost and you break out a compass, uh, just a magnetic compass. You're, you're outside of any cell coverage. You can't get GPS, none of that. You're just out in the middle of nowhere, and you're trying to get back, and you break out a compass. And instead of the compass pointing to true north, or magnetic north in this case, it points to you. How helpful would that compass be? Not very, right? You already know where you are. You're trying to figure out how to get to where you want to go. If the compass always points to you, it's not helpful. Well, unfortunately, a lot of people think the compass of life points to them, that they are the source and determiner of all truth. And they're not listening to other people. They're not listening to God. They're listening to themselves. Do you really think that you are the source and determiner of all truth? Do you think you really determine truth or you discover truth? You don't determine truth. You discover truth. I don't determine truth. I discover truth. Look, if I'm fortunate, I'm going to be on this earth for maybe 80 years. I had a beginning. I'm going to have an end in this life. 
I'm not the I'm not the source and the standard of all truth or morality. I'm not it. I, I'm just trying to discover it. So to say that, well, okay, you're doing a lot more learning and studying, that's good. But you're making decisions yourself rather than listening to someone else. There's a warning flag right there. In fact, someone said this. You can only learn in two ways. You can only learn from your own experience or someone else's experience. You don't have enough time to make all the mistakes yourself to learn from your own experience. If you're not looking outside yourself for truth, you're not going to get very far. There's going to be trouble. You ought to be looking outside yourself for truth. Now, this doesn't prove religion or Christianity is true by just saying this. I'm just saying you got to consider where you're getting your information from. If the compass always points to you, that's very dangerous. Here's another one, another category of reasons people don't or have moved to the nun category. They dislike organized religion. Here, one, one person said this, or I guess this is a common theme. It says, um, I see organized religious groups as more diverse th- or more divisive than uniting. Okay, that's a moral objection. Okay, where are you getting this moral standard from? Why is it better to be uniting than divisive? Who said? Again, you're stealing a standard from God to say religion is divisive. Now, maybe many religions are divisive. But you'd rather be divided over truth than united in error, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you rather be divided over truth than united in error? Another person said, I think that more harm has been done in the name of religion than any other area. Harm. Why is it wrong to harm if there is no God? Again, this is a moral objection. And it's quite frequently said, but look, so many wars were the result of religion. No, they're they're not. According to the the Encyclopedia of War, only 7% of wars have been the result of religion. And if you take Islam out of it, it's down to 3%. I mean, just think of the last century. Okay, World War I, caused by religion? No. World War II, caused by religion? No. Korean War, caused by religion? No. Vietnam War, caused by religion? No. Uh, Iraq War, caused by religion? You might say, ah, Saddam claimed to be a... Saddam was an atheist, okay? He just used Islam to try and keep people in line. Not really caused by religion. No. And even if you want to make an argument it was, it's in the minority. Wars generally are not necessarily caused by religion. In fact, more people have been killed in the name of atheism over the past, uh, over the last century than all the previous centuries combined. You take Lenin, Stalin, Mao, Pol Pot, you add them all together, you're up near 100 million people killed, murdered by atheistic regimes. So it's not a good reason to say there is no God because religion does harm. First of all, you're presupposing it's wrong to do harm. And secondly, you don't have a standard by which to say doing harm is wrong. One more, and then we'll get to your phone calls. Here it is. I no longer believe in organized religion. I don't attend services anymore. I just believe that religion is very personal, a very personal conversation with me and my creator. Well, of course, I don't believe in organized religion anymore. I believe in disorganized religion. That's what I'm in. No, actually, when you're saying that, you're not really believing in disorganized religion. What you really want is self-organized religion. You want to make up your own religion based on your own preferences. That's typically what happens. Look, I have that same... I have that same impulse. I want to do the same thing. You don't want disorganized religion. You just want self-organized religion. But again, do you really think the compass points to you? And how much can you learn about God just from a personal conversation with the creator? You're not Moses. You're not getting direct revelation from God. You're not Paul. You're not getting direct revelation from God. 
If you are, we ought to, we ought to add white, white pages in the back of our Bibles. You're not going to get enough information from creation alone. We're, you get a lot more information from the scriptures and a lot more information from the life of Jesus than you do by just creation. Oh, you know there's a creator through creation. You know there's a moral lawgiver out there because of conscience. But you don't get all the way to a ro- robust view of the Christian God by just looking at creation. You have to go a lot further. In fact, Jesus even said, he said, look, in where did he say this? I think it was in, I think it was in, where was it? John chapter seven, Jesus says, let me find it here. Cause I don't want to misquote Jesus. That would be bad. Uh, he says that my teaching is not my own. It comes from him who sent me. If anyone chooses to do God's will, he will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. And when you look at Jesus, you realize his teaching does come from God. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. He said, I and the Father are one. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You learn a lot more about God through Jesus than any other method. So don't give up on Jesus just to have your own personal religion. Now, that presupposes the New Testament's true, and you know we've been through that on this program before. We don't have time to go into it now. I need to get to your phone calls, and some have been waiting for a long time. So let me get right to, let's see, who's waiting the longest? Bill in Alabama. Bill, you're on with Frank Turek. Go right ahead, sir. Dr. Turek, you're a very bright man. Well, uh, but tell my kids that. Anyway, okay, go ahead, but Bill. The topic, but the topic <laughs> is not whether there's a personal God that exists. The topic is why do people that I guess uh, who were raised, raised and maybe uh, is a Christian mm-hmm. or uh, maybe other religion leave that religion. I think uh, young people in the South leave the church that, that were raised in the fundamentalist church after they go to college uh, because they find science doesn't agree with, with what they believed. Uh, they were taught uh, about creation. They were taught that the book of Genesis is to be taken literally. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, did you know that Pope John Paul the uh, Second taught that uh, the count of Genesis is a myth? Uh, yeah, he may have said that, but uh, it's not yeah. a myth. I think it's an historical account told in a poetic way. And I think if you read yeah. the account, uh, the very first verse says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so my question for people is, when did God create the heavens and the earth? And the answer is in the beginning. The days don't begin till verse three. And this is the point John Lennox, John Lennox of Oxford University makes. He says, he says, the heavens and the earth are created in verse one. The days begin in verse three. So whether or not the days have anything to do with the length of creation from today backward is a point of dispute. And it seems to leave, the Genesis account, leaves the the actual date of creation indeterminate. And so I think when we teach kids that the only possible interpretation of Genesis, it's certainly one possible interpretation, but the only possible interpretation is a literal seven-day creation with no gaps, and that makes the Earth, what, 10,000 years old or whatever, I think we're doing them a disservice was the first man, mm-hmm. and that everyone descends from Adam. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay, well, according to genealogies, uh, Adam was uh, 
Adam himself was was created, I guess, maybe 4,000 years ago. The Jehovah's Witnesses put a date of 4,025 B.C. Mm-hmm. Uh, Usher said 4,004 B.C. But we know just from a carbon dating that the human race is a lot older than that. In fact, we know that trees are a lot older than 6,000 years old. So yeah, that, you know, this young earth idea is, is science really proves that at least which is a traditional view is being simply not correct. All right, Bill, Bill, uh, I got to go to a break. I appreciate the call, uh, and I'll, I'll make a point or two after the break on this, but I appreciate the call. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a good point. You're listening to Cross-Examine with Frank Turk on the American Family Radio Network. We're back in just two minutes. Don't go away. A convicted murderer is back in custody. William Walter Asher III escaped from prison and remained a fugitive for more than three and a half decades. Now, almost 70 years old, he'll face the penalty for his crimes. He's not the only one who's been on the run. Every day, millions of people run away from things they've done. They flee from mistakes or bad choices. They attempt to escape past sins. Running will never make them free, unless they run to the right place. Jesus welcomes all who feel the need to run, to escape, to hide. He welcomes you to admit your sins to Him. He wants to forgive you and erase those things from your record. Mr. Asher has learned you can't run forever. To learn how to truly be free from your past and to stop running, call us at 888-NEED-HIM or go to chataboutjesus.com. Putting life in perspective with Harry Reader. Harry, churches and preachers have access to the public through the media, but is the gospel being preached in the Christian media? Well, in some cases it is. In some cases it's somewhat tainted, and in some cases it has perverted. The gospel is not a message of how to be successful in life. The gospel is a message that you and I who are all wrong with God can be absolutely right with God through Jesus Christ. And then our life is changed, and it's not self-esteem. It becomes self-respect and self-denial. And whether I am in business or my family or in athletics or wherever I am, I may never be the best, but I can do my best for the Lord and make an impact. And the Christian life is one that is not immersed in the things of this world, but uses the things of this world to echo the glory of God into eternity. Download the Briarwood PCA app, available at the App Store, Google Play, Amazon, and the Windows Store. Prior to the break, we were talking about the age of the universe, and uh, in order not to spend the next eight minutes talking about this, uh, check out uh, some videos that we have on our website, crossexamine.org, also on our YouTube page. They're on our Facebook pages. If you haven't liked our Facebook pages yet, you ought to. Uh, The crossexamine.org Facebook page and the... Uh, Frank Turek, Dr. Frank Turek, Dr. Frank Turek Facebook pages. Uh, we put out, we put out, Jorge, our, our great uh, social media director, puts out about four posts every day on each, each of those pages. Quite frequently, there's a short video involved. How old is the universe is one of those videos. We get into the fact that all dating methods require assumptions you can't prove. Uh, but the bottom line to the whole story here is, is that uh, I think that we have to have uh, some flexibility when we interpret a genesis because the text gives us that flexibility. Um, it could be a young earth uh, position. It could be an old earth position. We're not exactly sure. Uh, the better evidence from science appears to be an old universe. And uh, 
but all the details are partially in those videos and also in the book by John Lennox called Seven Days That Divide the World. Check that out. All right, let's go back to the phone lines. And uh, we're going to uh, Covan. Is, did I pronounce that right, Covan, in Michigan? No, you pronounce this Kavan. Kavan, how you doing, sir? Go right Kavan ahead. Kavan Hicks. Kavan, how you doing? I'm doing great. And just like, first and foremost, I'd like to say you're a smart guy. Appreciate you. Uh, secondly, really like that last commercial that was on before you came back from the break. Anyway, um, like you said, not to spend, not to spend eight minutes, ten minutes, or even that much time on the um, on the uh, creation. Mm-hmm. Um, I know the one you may have you no know, deciphered this yourself. Like I said, smart guy. Um, all I know is that you no, know, I feel like the Holy Spirit has uh, brought to my attention uh, the whole notion that the number one, everything that was created by God was created from His mouth, except man. He wanted to have a more intimate relationship with man, or describe, uh, initiate a more intimate relationship. So he he actually put his hands in the mix when he created man. But everything else was created by His word. Well, if you jump forward into uh, Isaiah fifty-five eleven, says, "So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth; it shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish the thing whereunto I send it." That that being said, to go back and sit, go from verse one, which says, "In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth," mm-hmm. and then go to verse two and says, and it says that the earth was without form and void, makes no sense whatsoever because God creates everything that you know, when He creates. He creates it completely, and and um and he's he's able to say it's good. So why would the earth be without uh be without form and void in the second verse? The only thing that makes sense is that also going in the uh, Bible is that uh, the Bible describes that there's a war in heaven, and Jesus Christ uh, gives a description of that war. Why? Because he was there in the beginning. Because he was the Word. He was with God. And he was God. And so therefore. No, when he describes it, he wasn't describing it as a present situation. He was describing it as when, when he saw it uh, prior to the uh, or after the earth was formed, but prior to the uh, the creation of man. The war in heaven, where Satan and a third of the angels and the dragon got kicked out, a really, as far as I'm concerned, a really, really large mass, which you no, know, I could just presuppose would have destroyed the earth, making it without form and void, so that God would have had to uh, well, recreate it. Well, Kavan, there's a lot of Just speculation. My yeah, th- yeah, you're right. There's a lot of speculation there. Um, I think God can use a process to create. In fact, even if the creation account is seven literal days in a row, it's still a process, right? It's not instantaneous creation. He's using it over a period of time, or he's creating over a period of time. So everyone believes to a certain extent in some kind of progression creation, progressive creation, even if it's seven literal days. Uh, but that's not really the topic we're talking about today. I appreciate the call. We're talking about why religious uh, people tend to leave and move on to the nun category. So maybe we'll pick that up at another time. Thanks for the call, Kovan. Uh, Let me move on over to Jeremy, uh, who is calling from Arkansas. Jeremy, you're on with Frank Turk. Go right ahead. Uh, hey, Frank. Um, hey. I gotta, I'm not trying to be too random on you um, uh, with this call, but, uh, but I work for a large corporation uh-huh. uh, here as the defense contractor here in Arkansas. Yeah. And, uh, and they've started a... A, a new initiative, right? It's corporate mandated. They're pushing it down to all the business units and their their individual site, and it's uh-huh. called the Allies for Inclusion, correct? And uh, and so, I mean, it's, this thing is veiled liberalism at best, right? And it's outright liberalism at worst, right? Uh-huh. And so, uh, and so, there's been a lot of you know, we have a lot of millennials that work at our at our site. We have a lot of Christian millennials that work at our site. We're definitely divided over what you know our response to what to this corporate initiative should be. 
And uh, I was really wanting to get your thoughts on this. There's one, there's 30 days of, of inclusion activities that they're pushing through with this. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and what they're, you know, and one of them, you know, most of them are, are, uh, are written to a way where, where no one from any religious or moral standing could, could disagree with, with what, uh, with what they're, they're pushing. But there was one day in particular that, in particular that stuck out like a sore thumb to me. And it said that, uh, said that there's a day where they want us to treat people the way they want to be treated, mm-hmm. as opposed to the way, you know, as, uh, you know, as, you know, what Jesus thought, you know, doing to others as, you know, they were doing to you and the mm-hmm. way, that, you know, I've been taught for, you know, the 30 plus years of my life, right? And I, you know, in, in my argument to, to the, to the fellow Christians, right, that, that, you know, in our discussions about this has been, hey, you know, that's how you get into, to gender identity, right? I mean, that's how you get into calling a, a he or she. Right, you know, because that's the way they want to be treated, correct? And right. and I was kind of want to get your your thoughts on that, and well, also right. from, from right. the corporate ha- world. Yeah, hang on, Jeremy, hang on, hang on, because we got to we got to get to the point quickly here. We're running out of time. Um, well. To be treated as you want to be treated, I mean, that could easily be turned around to say, well, I want to be treated um, in a way that respects my moral and religious convictions to call people by their actual biological sex. Okay, so you could easily turn that around and say, you're trying to force me to do something that is against my moral and religious beliefs. Uh, So what you have here are conflicting values and there's no way around these conflicting values. I mean, let's just take same-sex marriage for for an example. People will say, you must celebrate my same-sex marriage. And others will say, God and my conscience prevent me from doing so. Is there any middle ground here? No, there can be no middle ground. If you're going to insist on me celebrating it, yet God or my, my religious conscience or, or my conscience tells me I can't, what's the neutral ground or the middle ground? There isn't. One value has to give way to another. Now, the problem here is, is that corporate elites use the term inclusion and diversity to really mean exclusion for anybody that doesn't see it exactly the way we do. And so that's really the problem here. They use these moral-sounding words to actually promote an immoral viewpoint. They're using inclusion and diversity to really exclude and divide people or divide from people who disagree with their uh, agenda to try and make every sexual behavior morally normative. They're not. Sexual behaviors are different. Now, all people are equal. Don't get me wrong. Everybody's made in the image of God and deserves respect for being made in the image of God. But not every sexual behavior is morally equal. And so we need to draw a distinction between people and their behaviors. And if you're going to try and say that all behaviors are equal, then you are just blurring a line, a dangerous line, because we all know that moral behaviors are not equal. All behaviors are not morally equal. In fact, they will come back at you and tell you you're immoral for not accepting them. They're saying your behavior of not accepting their behavior is immoral. So you can't get away from uh, making moral values or moral judgments or saying that certain people have moral obligations. You can't get away from it. There's no such thing as moral neutrality in in this regard. So I don't know, you know, how this is being fleshed out in your corporation, uh, but one of the things you want to do is ask the questions. Ask the tactical questions that we talk about from uh, Greg's book, uh, Greg Kokel. You know, how did you come to that conclusion? What do you mean by that? These kinds of questions. Uh, you can also say, uh, uh, if they ask you a question about a controversial matter, such as, uh, you know, what's your view on this? You might respond by saying, do you consider yourself a tolerant person? 
Now, of course, they're going to have to say yes, and then you're going to say, great, because if I express a view that you disagree with, you'll tolerate me, right? So I think you can use these tactics to have a place at the table to make your views known. Does that make sense? Yes, sir, it does. All right. Well, I appreciate the call, Jeremy. Uh, and uh, let me get back uh, in our final minute or two to this topic of the nuns. Do they really have good reason to leave uh, Christianity? And my, my assertion is no, because most of the reasons I've seen here are either moral reasons – which they're presupposing Christianity, uh, or their misunderstandings about evidence and science that don't disprove Christianity, even if they're right. Uh, so you need the solution here is to provide love and evidence together love and apologetics together. And that's what we try and do in our ministry. We're not always successful at that. Obviously we're fallen human beings and we make mistakes and we sin and we do bad things. And so we're not always perfect at it, but that's really the goal here to present the truth in love, not to shy away from the truth, but to present it in love, present the evidence. And in order to love people, sometimes you have to tell them what they're doing is wrong. We know this as parents. If we tolerate everything our kids do, we're not loving parents. So we have to provide, Provide love and truth together, love and evidence together. We have to live out the greatest commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. So we have to do that. It's more important than ever. So many people are becoming nuns because the church has failed to provide good reasons as to why they should remain in the church, why they should believe that Christianity is true, why they should believe Jesus is the Savior and that they need a Savior. It's our fault. So we need to go out there and redouble our efforts and show the nuns what Christianity is all about, that Jesus is the Savior and our example. And we just need to keep doing that and keep doing it better and better with the Spirit's help. Because if we don't, our country is going to continue to go down the wrong route. I mean, think about this. As more people leave Christianity, where is that leaving the country? How are we doing morally? Is the rule of law being respected? Is the right to life being respected? Is the institution of marriage, which supports the foundation of civilization, being respected? Are the needs of children being considered? Or are we more concerned with our own adult desires? Are we becoming more fiscally responsible or less? Are we becoming more selfless or more selfish? We are becoming a nation of immature, selfish brats who only care about our own desires, not about children, not about the nation, not about the next generation. It's all about us because if there's nothing higher than you, there's nothing but you to live for. We got to point them back to Jesus. All right, friends, see you next week. I'm Frank Turek. God bless. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast do not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.